Greetings, well-intentioned person of power. Your good intentions used to be enough. But in these diverse and divisive times, you need help. Let Daquan, that black coworker you're referring to when you claim to have black friends, help you navigate perilous small talk with African-Americans with this handy alphabetized list of things not to say to black people. Welcome to Colors of Influence, a podcast highlighting leaders of color who were committed to the work of equity, diversity, and justice. I'm your host, Maylene Hamto. The clip you just heard is from a tongue-in-cheek PSA recorded by Adam Smyer, author of You Can Keep That to Yourself, a comprehensive list of what not to say to black people for well-intentioned people of power. Adam Smyer's nonfiction appears in the Johannesburg Review of Books. His debut novel, Knucklehead, was the sole title shortlisted for the 2018 Ernest J. Gaines Award for Literary Excellence. I posted a review of You Can Keep That to Yourself on the Colors of Influence blog at colorsinfluence.blogspot.com. So this particular interview is a bit different than other Colors of Influence episodes in that it focuses solely on Adam's latest work. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for being on the show and for the opportunity to discuss your book. Uh, this is such a timely topic, and discussing racial microaggressions is something that we all need to be doing at this moment. I guess it's always timely is also the thing, but yeah, it's weird how it seemed right. to come out right when people were starting to talk about this again. It's always timely. Those issues have always been around. However, there's a lot of renewed interest in you know, in really pushing our systems to be more racially just and equitable. And so in, in that sense, definitely. What prompted you to write the book? See, it, that's, a, that's a hard thing because I start a lot of things. I, I write a lot and sometimes it turns into something. And so it probably started the way any number of essays do. And then kind of shaped in terms of the genre and the approach and, and the, the form of it. After a while, you, after writing something, you kind of read it back and say, oh, I've reached critical mass. This is a thing. I would say what prompted me to write it was the last 50 years of being spoken to by people. I mean, it's, I, I, I joke that I've, you know, I've been writing this book for a, a year and a few months, but also my entire life because, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a timeless issue. And like you said, it's back in the in the conversation at the moment, microaggressions, whatever, but it's nothing new. So I guess you could say I just, I, 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 I filled up, I reached maximum capacity and had to, had to upload some of it to a, a, an external medium to make room in the hard drive. So why do you think humor works so well in starting the conversation about harsh truths about race, which is a topic that's often undiscussable in, in the workplace and actually other areas of our lives and society in general? The humor is just me. I don't know if it's a coping mechanism or if it's just an artist seeing things. Life has always seemed a little absurd to me, and I guess that just comes out in how I describe it. Um, but, you know, the, the dialogue uh, was not the first item on my agenda. I, I wrote this book so that similarly situated Black people could feel validated. You know, I wrote this book. By the time I had written enough to have a vision of how it would be presented, the idea for me was that when a Black person was told one of these things, they would 
flash back on the entry in the book and kind of just think about a possible response and uh, just smile and nod, but 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 know that what there's what what the person saying is a, a trope that it is not a benign one and that there are lots of things that we could say in response except we're at work and we're professionals so we're just going to let it slide it was a, it was a way for for black people to not feel alone at those moments because those are terribly lonely moments and i've actually benefited because people haven't stopped saying these things to me just because i wrote this book so when they do i flash back on the book and i think oh yeah i really I really polished my response to this, and, and so I don't even have to say it. I mean, as a non-Black person of color, I've also endured my share of um, of microaggressions. There's certainly a different set for Asians, for Filipinos. So in the tone of the book uh, really offers, I would say, delicious vengeance, um, you know, for, for people like me and, and also, of course, the people that you wrote for. Um, you know, for all those moments when I froze and, and I couldn't come up with a witty comeback, you know, for those comments that were said. So um, so again, offering talking points to Black people and other marginalized people of color, was it also part of your the genius of, of this whole plan of writing this book? You know, it's just what you said about the, like, not coming up with something. In my first book, Knucklehead, I actually revisited something that happened to me in real life and came up with a witty com comeback. And, and in the book, managed to say to the reader, like, I, this is what I would have said. <laughs> and it was, it was a very good feeling. So I guess, yes. Um, but as far as talking points go, we all already know, don't we? I mean, they're the only ones who, who don't know why what they're saying is right. ridiculous. So it wasn't, I'm not trying to arm people with new information, I was trying to say, look, I have the same reaction you do. We know what this is. We know what this is. And also from my vantage point, um, the work that I do, uh, Adam, is I work in diversity and inclusion. And so I work in uh, for internal teams, you know, talking about uh, diversity. Sometimes we talk about racism, if that's allowed in the organizations that I work with. I, I hope you you can see the sarcasm or yes. hear the sarcasm in that. So, um, so the book really accomplishes a great deal in terms of uh, explaining diversity topics in very plain and also unfiltered language, right? Yes. Uh, and so, um, so in the process of developing the list of explanations and also the definitions, what did you find most challenging, if anything? What I found most challenging was going for completeness. I, that's not possible, but I really uh, aspired to capturing every one of those platitudes, every one of those toxic little racial platitudes. And I think that I did a good job of capturing the spirit of all of them, but you couldn't possibly list them all. They come up in so many different ways. What I found interesting was that I wrote about every one that I could remember uh, over time. Like there was the, the, just making the list took months, and then I expanded on each one. And what I found interesting was that I expected some of them to be cut I assumed that, you know, some of my experience was universal and some was specific to, to me. And I, I encouraged people, uh, early, early readers, my editors, 
I encouraged them to flag the ones that they thought might be uh, a little too niche. These were almost exclusively black people because they were the only ones, you know, qualified to 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 be the 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 market for this. But nobody wanted to cut anything, which I thought was really interesting. Every entry is somebody's favorite entry. Like every entry resonates special for someone. And uh, that was information to me. That was news to me. I thought there'd be some, you know, those word clouds they do. It's like articulate would definitely be one of the larger words in the word cloud. But every one of those words um, is large on somebody's cloud. Right. And what, what did that tell you about about the list that you eventually, you know, put together for the book? What, what did that tell you about experiences of, of folks that provided input and feedback? Well, I guess one of the things that suggested to me is that this um, game, you know, what, one of the overarching, and you probably uh, come by this in your work all the time, is there's this persistent assumption that whatever's happening is innocent. It's uninformed, it's unintentional. There are a million different ways that people come at that. If a person is murdered, other people will immediately say, oh, that's so ignorant. I don't understand the word ignorance to mean that, right? But there's always some sort of bomb. There's always some sort of absolution applied. And the idea to me that that psychological warfare can actually be reduced to a list that most affected people sign off on as fairly complete. It says it's a thing. You know, it's like patriarchy. You can, you can explain away just about anything. But if you let in the idea of patriarchy, it's hard to, it's, it's, it's harder to do that. And so, and the idea that innocent people participate as well. Um, the book is specifically ostensibly directed to well-intentioned people of power. It's not addressed to ill-intentioned people of power. I don't have anything to say to them. I don't know what I would say. They know what they're doing. They have the courage of their convictions. I'm talking about the so-called allies who are doing some of that same work under the guise of I don't even know what. Thank you for naming that. It's so important for allies uh, those with good intentions to continue to uh, deepen their awareness about race relations. Unintentional slights also hurt. So it's important to focus on impact rather than intent. On a slightly different note, on developing the concept for the book, what was the best advice that you received? When I wrote, uh, my first book was a novel. It took eight years to write. I got a lot of feedback on that. This one, although I've been writing in my head forever, it kind of came out pretty quickly and almost fully formed. And I really tried to get as much feedback as possible. Um, I tried to get uh, perspectives within Black people. I, I talked to mostly women. I didn't want to, you know, uh, speak to one wrong while doing another. Um, I didn't get any sort of direction-changing feedback, although I will say that working with Akashic, um, the publisher, on the format and the feel of the book, that I think that was where the collaboration really began. The words were just basically words that, I have, that have been in my head for decades. 
a little bit polished. And then the book itself became this process of uh, molding. And so, and, and Akashic did a wonderful, wonderful job with that, which I knew they would because uh, Go the Fuck to Sleep is, is uh, the most adults favorite children's book as far as I know. And they did a good job with just that as an interface, you know, the book as an interface. Um, that was an incredible process. Yeah. So the physical uh, aspect of the book, right, is, is really something that you could just put in a in a purse. And then the idea is for someone to just pick it up if you happen to be talking to a black person. It fits in a jacket pocket. It fits okay. in a suit jacket pocket. Yeah. You can just say, and just and it's got the little alphabet on the side. It's got the little the little yeah. So you can just go right to reverse racism. Just just pull up R and see what I have to say about that. Uh, so Adam, while we're on the topic of uh, the topics that you've covered in the book, I'd like to share a short clip from a PSA that you've recorded, a public service announcement that you've recorded uh, about the book, uh, introducing it to readers, um, where you also read. Uh, excerpts from the book. So let's take a listen. Whenever you feel compelled to blurt out an observation about our hair or to liken your Tesla lease to slavery, ask for a moment to consult this reference. If the keen insight you wish to share is listed therein, you can keep that to yourself. It truly is that easy. Here are some examples. Slave. I come from regular people who were abducted by evil people. I don't know who these slaves are. You like that word too much. It's creepy. I don't see color. You lying, intelligence-insulting motherfucker. Hair. Do not ask to touch our hair. Do not comment on our hair. You can look at our hair, but keep your childlike, wondrous observations to yourself. Hold them in like a fart. Watermelon. Just kidding. You can say watermelon. I know that you've received a lot of kudos and applause, um, and you also made a lot of people laugh. Um, but I'm wondering about your critics. Um, if if the, if this is a thing that applies, uh, what has been the most stinging critique of the work <laughs> thus far? I have not really gone out of my way to let in the spontaneous visceral reactions of people who have read the book or more likely just the title. You know, I, I can remember the early days of the internet when that was manageable. Um, it was still mean, but it was manageable. But the way things are now, particularly Twitter, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not really, this book notwithstanding, I'm not really trying to be part of the fray. I'm not really trying to be part of, of the dialogue. It's, it's, it's wonderful that I am, but I don't feel obligated to take it all in. So I'm sure there are some lovely zingers out there. I, 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 I'm sure that, uh, that there's been some scathing uh, stuff out there, but I couldn't, 
I couldn't tell you offhand what it is. Probably best to stay away from Twitter. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I try to as much as I can. Just right in life. Right. Yes. Just in general. <laughs> so, um, why do you think it's important for uh, for whites and also other non-black people of color to understand how certain racialized words and phrases, you know, land on black people and the impact of those words and phrases? Well, because I'd like to think most people want to be decent. Um, it's, it's part of what I was saying about this uh, shared slash slash forced assumption that uh, these acts are benign. I would like to think that if people understood where they came from, uh, what they are and how they land, they wouldn't want to say them. To the extent that people still do want to say them, that says something about them, not me. I certainly would want to know that some expression that I'm using freely is actually backfiring on the, the people that I, I am trying to compliment. I would want to know that. I can't speak to what other people want to know. It, it, a little bit, it involves looking at yourself, and I know people aren't always into that. You bring up such an important point. So um, what I've seen in diversity work is that in interrupting microaggressions, people who commit them go through a lot uh, to justify why they use certain terms instead of you know simply stepping back to reflect on the impact of their words. That's another, this, this is perfect because I actually put out on social media to some friends, my German speaking friends, what's the German word for that? Because there, there are stages like grief. There's the super aggression. There's just the white hot outrage. There's the, the coming back with the stories and the, it, it's such a process that we should name it. And I think that's another thing that if people understood that they were just doing a thing that humans do when they're confronted with themselves in a certain way, they might look at it differently, but they might not. And, you know, this next question goes without asking because, um, you know, the book definitely illustrates your in-depth knowledge about, you know, Black feelings and sentiments. Uh, They're laid out clearly in the book. But how did you ensure in the process of writing the book that you brought your full cultural self to the process? Now, I spent most of my child, I spent half of my childhood in the kind of diversity that doesn't even exist anymore, you know, in New York City. If you go back to the neighborhood I grew up in, it's completely overrun now by uh, outsiders, people from the Midwest, whatever you, whatever euphemism we're using uh, during this election season for uh, suburban voters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the neighborhood I grew up in in New York has been overrun by suburban voters. And uh, we all, my childhood friends, we all marvel at, you know, uh, the ease with which we can move through the world because that was the world we grew up in. And so, yeah, my cultural self is, I can, I can talk to different people. I can talk to a lot of different people without even really trying. And I do think that that went into the book, although my first goal was to speak to my people and say the things that they want to say. I did also understand that uh, well-intentioned people of pallor may well pick up the book. And I did, to the extent that they were capable, want to speak to them. There's a, there, there's a lot of um, explaining that I don't do. I kind of feel like the book is to be read in conjunction with Google 
if you're interested in an entry, do your own do your own labor, you know. But especially towards the end of the editorial process, I did want to say things in a way that preserved my feelings about them, but at the same time were still accessible to those uh, who are capable of accessing. That's great. Thank you. I really appreciate that context. Now, what's your advice to readers who may feel a certain kind of way about the content of the book? They pick it up, they flip the pages, and they start having feelings around what that book is telling them. I guess my hope would be that they, and again, this is not for everybody, but I guess my hope is that they would wonder why they're having those feelings. Because I think if you unpack them just a little bit, you come up on some pretty uh, Jim Crow-ish assumptions. Like there are things that we shouldn't say, that there is nothing that they should not be allowed to say. I do understand that the book pushes up against uh, an understanding that is, I think, uh, that people try to impose on us. I know that as the only black person in in a room, there is a role that I am invited to play. I may not play that role. I may walk some sort of line. The the book for me is is on the aggressive side of that continuum. You know, if, you can't move through life that way, which is part of what I like about just having written it all down. It speaks for itself. It 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 can it can exist on that end of the continuum while I navigate with a little more subtlety. You know, but um, I, I I do think that there are things about the book. It's performance art. For me, it's not literature, it's performance art. So the reactions for me are part of the experience. You know, uh, we're, we're, we're talking two days after Breonna Taylor's murderers were basically acquitted. And I still have white ladies saying to me, you shouldn't say white lady. I find that term disparaging. And I'm like, is that really the hill that, is that, is that your struggle? <laughs> the whole Karen thing. I have a lot of friends named Karen, some of whom uh, think it's funny, some of whom absolutely do not. But you know what? Honestly, if the worst thing anybody's calling you is Karen, in my book, you're doing okay. You know, when, when that happened, when the police were not indicted for murdering someone, my book felt petty to me you know, for a minute. And I understand that people fight the struggle in different ways and different levels, and you don't have to choose one approach. But I was like, so then what is the relevance of this book, like when it's legal to kill us? And I thought to myself, you know, maybe if we can get some of them to stop trivializing all the murder, maybe they can get, uh, some of them can get their cousins to stop doing some of the murders. Because the murders exist in a broth of trivialization and denial. So I don't know. It's a, it's a silly, funny little book. Maybe it could chip away. I don't know. If I had been thinking that when I started it, I would have never started it, but who knows. I think that it, it really does contribute to, to the conversation. Um, it's, it's a lighter take. Um, and like you mentioned, it's, if, if what it does is, is, 
uh, encourage or convince people of, and this is really sad that we have to do this, uh, of, of humanity, of, of Black lives, then, um, then it would have done what it's supposed to. And so, you know, sort of on that note, uh, with all of the renewed energy around uh, addressing racial justice issues where the fight is not over, what do you find most hopeful or where do you, what gives you hope in this moment? Oh, that, uh, nothing. <laughs> it's, it's an understandable question and people scramble and people really want that. Uh, I don't know that now is the time for that. I'm going to go with my first answer. Nothing. This is crazy. This is bananas. And it's all, honestly, it's only going to get an awful lot worse. And everybody knows it. And we're just walking around eating yogurt. I mean, it's this is uh, extraordinary. And it's definitely going to get worse. There's your hope. <laughs> I, I totally understand. And I just want to mention that the question about hope is one that I ask all of my guests uh, during this time of uncertainty and grief. Um, I think as people of color, we've been conditioned to see the light, the positive in everything, even when things are, are falling apart around us. And But I just want to note that I truly appreciate your honesty and your candor. And those are all the questions I have. Is there anything else that maybe I forgot to ask or you'd like to add about the book? I think you, you covered it quite well. Um, no, I, I, uh, this has been a very enjoyable, different conversation about this book. And I, I, you know, usually I'm talking, it's, it's nice to be speaking to a, a diversity and inclusion, someone who lives that life, because I, I spend, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with that world too. And the conversation's a little bit different. It's a lot more careful. It's a lot more goal oriented. So it's interesting to think of, you know, this book in that context. I, I, I love the idea of someone actually using it in the workplace. I, I, I don't know that anyone's ever going to do that, but that would be funny. Thank you for tuning in. That was my interview with Adam Smyer, author of You Can Keep That to Yourself, a comprehensive list of what not to say to Black people for well-intentioned people of power. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to or follow Colors of Influence everywhere you get your podcast. For updates, please follow us on Instagram at Colors of Influence and on Twitter, Colors Influence. Email us your ideas for future topics and guests at pod at colorsofinfluence.com. 